listening to Mind of the Alpha, raw, unedited, and straight from the wolf mouth. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Bobby, and we have a uh, very special guest here with us today. Um, one of the topics that we typically discuss a lot about is uh, UFOs, and we have a um, UFO expert and and uh, author, um, Martin Keller. How you doing, Martin? Good. How you doing, Bobby? Thanks for having me on. I'm doing good, man. I'm glad we finally were able to get this going, man. I know you had some issues last week, and uh, but um, our listeners definitely understand. I know they're looking forward to it this week. So I'm ready to roll. Cool, man. Cool. So tell me, man. I mean, what? What? You know, we might as well just go ahead and dive right into it. What? What exactly um, do you do, and how long have you been doing it? <laughs> That's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> let me give you a little background about my uh, professional career first. Um, I started out as a uh, music journalist that covered popular culture in the Twin Cities. Oh, cool. I'm in uh, Minneapolis, for everyone who wants to know. And I covered uh, the music and comedy scenes here from the late 70s to the early 90s and that was a pretty rich time here in the twin cities i mean we saw the rise of prince and a bunch of heavy duty indie bands like the replacement soul asylum husker do alt rock alt country rock groups like uh, uh the jayhawks Com comedians like Louie Anderson, Joel Hodgson. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a pretty ripe time to be covering culture here, and I did that for a long time. I actually wrote a, a, uh, a memoir about that in 2019 called Hijinks and Hearsay that's widely available and has little background uh, stories in 150 black and white photos, you know, Bob Dylan, Prince, Bob Marley, Paul McCartney, Bonnie Raitt. Uh, really? I had that's, a lot that's of great awesome. close encounters with all those people and uh, wrote stories about them, interviews, reviews, and the memoir kind of captures that uh, experience pretty well. And then I got tired of uh, covering covering the scene I, I mean I kind of kind of burned me out frankly so I went into public relations and uh, one of my earliest pro bono clients was Dr. Stephen Greer from the Center for the Study of Extraterrestrial Intelligence otherwise known as CSETI and Dr. Greer was all about close encounters of the fifth kind, human-initiated mm -hmm. contact with the visitors or whoever these people are in these flying machines. Did you say the fifth kind? Yeah, the fifth kind. So what 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 exactly? Because I've heard of uh, like the third kind and that. What's the what's the um, you know what's the what's the meaning behind the fifth kind? Well, the. <clears throat> third kind everybody knows obviously from the movie that great spielberg movie back in the 70s right um but the fourth kind is interaction with uh with the ets and that can take various um various manifestations i guess uh the mm -hmm. fifth kind is is where you go out and you try to initiate a close encounter 
and uh, we can get into this a little bit more, but uh, basically Greer's Greer had a whole contact protocol he had developed based, I think, pretty much on a close encounter of the third and fourth kind he had had as a young man hiking alone in the uh, in the Blue Mountains around Asheville, North Carolina. Beautiful country. And um, that said, I've had uh, two UFO sightings myself when I was in high school. Uh, one was with friends. I think I think it's important to note uh, that uh, mutually witnessed events under these circumstances are important because you have fallback position. You can have your friends testify like, oh, yeah, this is what we saw, and this is when we saw it. This is where we saw it. This was the time we saw it. So, And the other one was a uh, uh, an event in a park the same week, earlier in the week, with one of my best friends when we were walking to a, a student council meeting at night. We were big men on campus. He was president of the council. I was a VP. And we had a strange encounter with a red orb that kind of came down from this park, which was in a butte. I grew up in Western North Dakota. It's very flat out there, but there was this butte called Rocky Butte Park in uh, Dickinson, North Dakota, a small town of about 10,000. And, you know, we didn't know what it was. We still don't know what it was. We don't know if it was some sort of ET thing, some sort of interdimensional thing, some sort of spiritual presence. Uh, but I'm going to leave that right there for the moment. So I had quite a few adventures with Dr. Greer, and my book, The Space Pen Club, is based in part on those years in the 90s where I worked with him. Um, it's pretty fascinating stuff, really. I mean, I, yeah, I've, I've actually been reading it. I'm, I'm not, I didn't quite get through the whole thing yet, but I have been reading it and it's, uh, it's, it's pretty captivating, man. I don't, it's, I'm enjoying it so far. That's for sure. Yeah. Good. Well, people say it's a good read, you know, I'm too close to it to have an opinion one way or the <laughs> other. Some days I love it. Other days I, I don't want to see it in my face anymore. Right. I spent, I spent 10 years, uh, working on it i mean not consistently obviously but um i wrote two books in that period two other books in that period and uh including hijinks and hearsay that i just referenced but uh and then i you know i had a a full client list in the public relations world so i'm pretty busy i couldn't couldn't keep at it constantly mm -hmm. but after 10 years i i got it done and it came out just a couple of weeks in June of 2021 uh, or 2022, rather, right before the uh, first uh, disappointing UFO report came out from uh, from the government. And uh, we've seen a second one drop subsequently in the last month here. And we can talk more about that, too. Yeah, I, I definitely want to get into that. Um... As far as the, so I, I want to ask you though, you, so you had two, two sightings in high school yourself. Um, and you saw, were, were both of those mutual sightings? I mean, were they both um, witnessed by friends or was it just the one? No, the, the, 
the site one sighting uh the, the sighting of the red orb in the park was with one other friend my best friend he's i've known him since we were five we're still close he's my attorney these days we used to debate oh, really? in high school <laughs> yeah i mean totally stand-up guy and uh he was an excellent debate partner i knew the second i saw him debating he was going to be an attorney not something i wanted to do uh the other sighting was with three other friends including him his name is jim although he shows up as under a nickname uh zod in the book quite a few times so zod and i and two other buddies in high school saw a white oval object about a quarter of a mile from our high school which at the time kind of sat on the edge of town and there were farmlands all the way out to the west and this thing was was in a westerly direction and it seemed to be hovering over the farm the north dakota state university farm extension office and uh, oddly enough or maybe not so that whole week in western north dakota there had been reported ufo sightings throughout that part of the state in the newspaper and broadcast tv and radio so um we got lucky i guess or cursed maybe i don't know um, <laughs> you know one of the i would call it luck personally i've i've never I mean, the only time that I've ever had any sort of like experience myself was we, I live in, I used to live up in Ohio in a small town called Batavia. Mm -hmm. And, um, I was sitting in my living room and my, my mother-in-law was over and she came in yelling, you got to come look at this. You got to come look at this. So I went outside and she pointed straight up in the air and there was a, a bright orange, um, sphere. It looked like up in the sky. Okay. And it sat there and it was probably, it had to be 1,500 to 2,000 feet above my house um, where it was sitting in the sky. And next thing I know, all of a sudden it, it sat there and we watched it for a couple minutes. I went in to get my phone and I came back out. And as soon as I came back out, because I was going to try to record it. And as soon as I came back out, it shot straight up in the air and just shot straight through the sky and was gone. And we never saw anything like that again. Sure, it wasn't a Chinese spy device <laughs> a chinese balloon <laughs> yeah. no it man hell it may have been man you never know yeah but, you know i mean that that's that's the problem with this subject and with uh, a lot of different sightings you know mm -hmm. it's hard to discern what the hell this is and how do we talk about it uh i don't know if my two encounters in the park were et or uh, the boys upstairs as i sort of chauvinistically and humorously call them in the book i mean mm -hmm. that's kind of one of the narrative themes in the space pen club book is is trying to find out the truth of of my experiences and the experiences of many other people although there's plenty of well-documented uh uh stories of people with had uh well-established uh, contact with with other beings from another place so what what did you after you guys spotted these these um orbs in the sky what did you do did you how, what was your feeling at the time i mean was it were you scared were you excited what you know kind of tell me how you were feeling well the one in the park was baffling and um neither of us had any real context for it uh, my friend jim said 
what the hell is that? As this thing, you know, hovered about 10 feet from us at eye level. Oh, so it was real close to you. Yeah, it was very close. Oh, wow. It, okay. It made no sound. It was opaque. You couldn't see through it. Um, it didn't have any other distinguishing characteristics. And it's funny because neither one of us can remember how the episode ended. I think it just disappeared because we had to get to school and conduct a student council meeting. And uh, so I think we just continued on our way and uh, we talked about it, obviously. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I said, you know, initially when you said, what the hell is that? I said, it's the devil because we were, it was red and, and you know, looked uh, sort of foreboding and, and uh, we were both good Catholic boys and, and, you know, that was my first reaction. Oh, it's the devil. And there is a whole uh, school of thought that these um, things are from the demonic realm. I, I don't subscribe to that. Uh, I, I don't either, because I think it's really arrogant of us for anybody to think that there's not other life out there and that they're not visiting us, you know, here on Earth. I mean, look how big the universe is. There's no way that there's no existing other life out there. There's, I just don't see how people can deny that. And the other sighting uh, with the three other friends in the high school parking lot, um, a couple of nights later, um, we were kind of nonchalant about it. I mean, we were excited to see it. And I think I, you know, one of my buddies said, let's get in our cars and drive over there and check it out some more. It was only a quarter of a mile away. And I think I was the guy that poo-pooed it and said, nah, this is what everybody's been reporting all over the this part of the state this week. We were at a, a varsity bas high school basketball game and it was halftime. It was also about 20 below zero in February. Oh boy. And we had come out there uh, without our coats on. And I said, nah, let's just go back in, watch the game. And, and uh, you know. So you just kind of went on with it like nothing happened? Yeah, we, Man. we went on with it. Um, Did you tell anybody? I mean, what, what? Oh yeah, we, I I told my parents about it, and my siblings, and what they say were they sure. did they believe you or were they kind of doubting it or? Well, I don't know that they had an opinion one way or the other. My I had always had an interest in space as a kid. In grade school, I wrote to NASA about uh, their space programs, and they sent me back all these uh, informational packets with descriptions of the mercury apollo gemini programs a lot of all these autographed pictures of the astronauts so these guys were my heroes when john mm -hmm. glenn made his three orbits around the earth i wrote him a letter and i got a personal letter back so it's uh space that's really cool all... man i i always was into space myself my uh mom actually neil armstrong when he was uh she my mom was a hospice nurse before she retired and she um took care of neil armstrong um wow. towards his last days and got to talk to him and stuff like that so but he you should have asked him the question because there's all kinds of lore ufo lore about Ar what armstrong really saw he wouldn't tell her no he he, he was a he was a good soldier to the end you know these guys were under 
threat of criminal penalty or worse if they broke their security national security oaths and uh yep he kept that secret with him i mean because she definitely tried to talk to him about it and he wouldn't he wouldn't talk to her about it yeah it was a non-starter for most of them there's a few guys uh that have pretty much come right out and said you know the these things are real. We saw them in space. Ed Mitchell was one of them. Yeah, who ended up joining Doctor Greer's organization as in the capacity of a consultant. So I got to know Ed Mitchell. He was in the Apollo program, the sixth man to walk on the moon. Uh, really brilliant guy. Uh, great sense of humor. Kind of dark, but. Uh, uh yeah i mean you're you're not going to get a lot of you're not going to get a lot of information from astronauts for the most part that said um just at the end of the year here president biden signed a uh uh, national defense authorization bill which funds um the defense department and the various intel agencies that we have and in that, there's a, a couple different clauses that addresses the whole UFO issue, although they call it UAP now, unidentified aerial phenomenon. Why did uh, they change that? Why do you think they started calling it that instead of UFO? Uh, well, you know, because... the, kind of the, the party line is that there's too much baggage with UFOs, but, mm-hmm. I, you know, I I think that's a little foolish myself, but in this authorization act that biden signed um there's a whistleblower um clause that allows for anyone to come forward now and talk to the office that's been set up inside the government to tell their ufo story which is fantastic because why do you think on all of a sudden that they're willing to do that why i mean because it you know, you were talking about how Neil Armstrong and, and Ed Mitchell, um, all of these guys were under, you know, an oath or what or what say you to protect them against, uh, you know, talking. Why do you think that all of a sudden that the government's willing to talk about this thing? Well, that's a great question. It's kind of the $64,000 question. Why now? I mean, the, the government, as we know, and different intel agencies have been studying this since the so-called Roswell incident, if not earlier, um, Roswell is sort of the, you know, the showcase um, UFO incident that most people are aware of now. Uh, I think there's a couple of things. The, The December 17th, 2017 New York Times front page cover story about the secret UFO um, study group at the Pentagon from in the early aughts, I think 2007 through uh, 2010, if I'm not mistaken. That that made front page news. That kind of legitimate legitimatized uh, UFO reporting in the mainstream media, thank God. Uh, no no one anticipated it hats off to leslie kane a very intrepid investigative reporter freelance reporter who's been writing about this subject for years and years and years her uh her book about it um 
Air Force generals. It's got a long title, but it's, it was actually a New York Times bestseller. Uh, that's a great book to read. And Leslie uh, collaborated with uh, another freelancer named Ralph Blumenthal, and then a New York Times staff writer, Helene Cooper, who uh, covers the military and, and the Pentagon for the Times. So it was a powerful story, and they went on to write three or four more subsequent stories. I think that really changed the whole way that media has um, come to view this subject as a serious one. And I think it inspired some people inside Congress. I'm not going to trot out their names here. I don't think it's necessary, but it was a bipartisan effort to uh, set up a separate office to study this and hopefully fund it. I don't know if these uh, if this new office is going to be fully funded to do what they need to do. But the other thing, and a friend of mine pointed this out to me, he says, you know, space is rapidly becoming commercialized, uh, you know, by the Jeff Bezos, uh, Richard Branson's, uh, Musk's of the world, uh, and that includes Robert Bigelow out in Las Vegas, who's had a lifelong interest in this too, uh, Bigelow actually went on 60 Minutes one time a couple of years ago and just said point blank, you know, the ETs are real, they've been here, they probably are here. And the kind of skeptical uh, reporter interviewing him, I forget who it was, said, said what, it was kind of shocked to hear this. So point blank, he, and, and he said, why? <clears throat> what if people don't believe you? And he said, I don't care. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so anyway, you know, space is being rapidly commercialized. And uh, at some point, when space tourism becomes a thing, and that's probably within the next 10 years or less, um, I think these people out aboard these commercial uh, joyrides, if you will, are going to start seeing things and they're going to want an explanation so, so they kind of got it they're kind of you think they're jumping in front of the jumping in front of it before it becomes an issue yeah i think that's part of it uh you know the rest of it is all pure speculation this subject is so wrapped up in secrecy it's it's just going to take years to uh literally unravel it and get to the core fundamental truths about it if we ever do get that far, I'm I'm skeptical because I've watched this subject now unfold for uh, you know better part of fifty plus years, and and uh, I'm I'm hoping to be pleasantly surprised. Right, right. So you um, have you heard of the um, Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program? Yes, I have. Okay. Um, that was the thing the Times exposed. Yeah, okay, okay. And so they they are not, is that still being funded, do you know, or is that not no longer being funded? I don't think so. Uh, that's the program that Lou Elizondo came out of. Um, I don't know if your viewers are familiar with him, but he's now been very public, him and... Chris Mellon, he used to be a uh, 
deputy uh, secretary at the, one of the def defense department. Uh, they're both been very vocal on uh, the fact that this is a real subject and there are folks inside the Pentagon that never want it to come out. They've tried to discredit Lou's credentials of ever having worked on that um, ATIP program you just referenced. And um, uh, I lost my train of thought there, but um, yeah, the that program was the news back in 2017 and i don't know that it's been uh, you know elizondo i think has said it said it was shut down and if it wasn't shut down it's it's now going under another name but you know again it's compart compartmentalized uh national security um slotting that goes into to programs like that and uh, we may do you think it may be turned into space force that sort of thing no i think space force is a dedicated uh, <clears throat> group of of uh you know an astronaut corps military astronaut type um organization that's going to put guys in space although depending on who you talk to uh i know People like Dr. Greer believe that we've already got that in place, have had it for a long time. I have no way of knowing whether that's true or not, but makes for a good discussion. Yeah, we. I actually am working with a uh, captain in the Space Force. He's going to be um, trying to get him to come on the podcast sometime in March. So definitely be able to talk to him more about that then. Well, I hope he can give up some, some of the goods because... Well, that'd be cool, Again, wouldn't it? You know, people want to know about this. I think it's um, if you polled the American public, and and there have been polls over the past, and vast majority believe there's life in outer space, and subsequently, a lot of them believe that it's got the ability to visit here. They've got uh, superlative technology, and I think that technology is is of vital importance to uh, you know who controls energy or makes energy and um, it, it is a threat to those industries and uh, there's a lot more to come on that subject for sure man for sure they so do you do you um what do you what do you do in the field of ufos now i mean are you involved in like uh uh investigations or anything like that or what you know what do you uh what do you do in that part um you know once i got out of uh greer's organization c city which would go out under the stars and try to make contact uh i don't do that anymore i'm getting too old um i don't belong to any uh, research teams or anything um uh, i consider myself uh hopefully an informed observer of this discussion of this mm -hmm. topic and i have been blogging about different developments since the book came out in uh, june 2021 21 or is it 22 20, 20 i think it was 22 you said yeah anyway um i still read a lot of stuff i look at other blogs but i'm if you go to www.thespacepenclub.com, 
com. That's the book's website. And there's a blog uh, tab you can click on and you can see my, uh, a lot of its reactions to news that's coming out or not coming out. And then occasionally I'll, I'll do what I call outtakes from from the book things that uh -huh. didn't make it into the book like you know this goes back to my music years but you know outtakes from different band recordings that didn't make it onto albums that got bootlegged or just shelved for another day i mean i've got a couple of different store outtake stories that didn't go into the book but it make for some pretty interesting reading including one about a crop circle that i I did investigate with a friend of mine in the nineties. So you actually went to the site. The site, yeah, really. Little old lady, just a little bit out. Excuse me, outside of Minneapolis, reading her Bible at ten thirty at night, and saw a white sphere moving through the perimeter of her property. She had kind of a hobby farm. And she called a friend and uh, told him about it. And a friend subsequently called and his friend, who turned out to be my friend. And we went out there. We got her permission to talk to her about it. And then she showed us uh, the site where she. So what? What? Um. <clears throat> it was a little. Um... Uh, it was a little like imperfect. Um, some kind of insignia or you know it wasn't a fully formed crop circle it was very small but there was white residue in it which is a trademark of of a real crop circle as opposed to the hundreds that have been faked over mm -hmm. the years um so we took that sample and we sent it to uh, a well-recognized researcher uh, I believe he was in Ohio, Dr. Uh, blanking on his name. He's no longer with us, but uh, he did a lot of crop circle research and uh, we hoped to, we would hear from him on it, but we never did. So what, what is the, do, do you know what the white, do they know what the white powder is? It's some kind of chemical signature. I forget what the components are, but uh, it, apparently comes and i could be off the mark on this but apparently comes from rapid heating of a plant and soil media and uh it's the residue from from that i mean i mm -hmm. take a little shot in the dark here because i don't have those notes in front of me but uh it's some result of this energy that interacted or tried to interact and and leave a mark on this uh, elderly woman's property do you think that crop circles are um uh like language they're trying to speak to us or what do you think a crop circle the the purpose behind them again that's a really good question that i'm not sure i can answer i mean I, I at the end of the day i just think the crop circles are beautiful uh even the hoaxed ones uh yeah they're like works of 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 art <laughs> they're like uh, mysterious earth art and whether mm -hmm. they're made by an et intelligence or an intelligence of another kind i i don't know but 
you know, I still follow that discussion as much as I can. Um, you know, it's this whole subject area is really kind of the final frontier. And um, hopefully we'll learn more about it as as we go forward. Right. Yeah. Some of, some of the apprehensions and stigma around all of this stuff is falls by the wayside. How how do you respond to skeptics? I mean, what what do you know? What do you what do you do? What do you tell them? <laughs> well, I don't even uh, you know. I have close friends going back to college that just think this whole thing is a bunk, and um, I don't engage them. I don't see any plus side to it. It's it's not worth it. I mean. I'm not going to convince anybody that it's it's real. I mean, they could read my book and probably make that assumption themselves, but some of them don't even want to finish reading the book. I mean, it's kind of a state of denial. So mm -hmm. um, I just let it go. I mean, uh, I don't care. There's a lot of skeptics. There's a there's a funny uh, incident in I think chapter ten of my book, the final chapter. The last two chapters are all about disclosure and uh dr greer was the first guy to launch a disclosure meeting of witnesses in washington in april of uh 2000 or 1997 and then he did a lot much larger one at the uh, national press club there in dc in 2001 i was not part of that i had i had passed out of Greer's organization by then. I had a young family. I had a lot of work that pay, paid me a, a, a living wage, and I was just getting my expenses paid for uh, Greer's organization. So, but uh, the funny story is there, you know, I threw out this guy named Philip Class. He was a elderly guy. He was well known as the uh, debunker of the whole ufo stuff in the media if there were some really hot sightings you could count on phil class to write a column in aviation weekly or some of the other trade press that he contributed to he would he would write a debunkers story you know just tearing apart the whole um the whole thing and and uh, he showed up uh uninvited to this event and uh, Greer asked me to throw him out and so I threw him out <laughs> he was not a happy guy <laughs> he had his tape recorder going and uh, wanted my name and where I lived I gave that to him and if I ever made it into one of his diatribes I would feel honored but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah especially now that you got a book out man and probably you know publicity is good publicity so <laughs> right yeah. So do you do you um do you think that skeptics are I mean the way that I feel about it man is I think that a lot of people deny it because they're afraid of it. Yeah, I think and they're they're afraid to know. I think that's part of it. Yeah. Uh the other thing is, you know, it just doesn't fit their worldview. Um they haven't, you know, they haven't read any books on the topic. It's it's still, I think, considered by many people to be squarely in the paranormal bucket. 
um, or it's it's part of the occult and I think in some regards that's been the design to marginalize it in such a such a way um, to render it uh, you know not part of our everyday thought processes um, I got a great uh, endorsement for from Dan Aykroyd for the book yeah how how did you get that because I little, do you I'll, know I'll get Dan? To that in a second there's a little snippet of it on the cover but Mm -hmm. There's a longer one on the uh, book's website at thespacepenclub.com, longer endorsement from Mr. Aykroyd. Uh, how I got, and he basically says, you know, there's been this trench of fantasy kind of dug in around the subject that to just, it's just garbage and it's, it's completely uh, made this subject to be one pursued only by fools or crazy people mm -hmm. uh i'm not going to quote it because it's i mean i could grab the book and read it but um you can read the quote on the on the book's website i think it's on the first page as it opens the landing yeah. page uh how i met Aykroyd is kind of interesting i mean He's been into the subject, uh, we're almost about the same age, and he's been into it for as long as I have, but he's also been a lifelong blues fan. I mean, come on, the guy was one of the blues brothers. Right. Original cast member of SNL for people who um, don't remember or weren't, weren't around when that show first launched. He was part of that great cast from Saturday Night Live. Um but uh we're both big blues fans and one of the bands that i covered pretty religiously here in the in the in the early 80s was the lamont cranston band and they were a very uh powerful r b group all white guys but singing the blues and writing songs in the blues format and little known fact that Cranston's were asked to be the the touring band with uh, Aykroyd and Belushi when they when the film came out they were gonna you know their the soundtrack record was obviously very successful and they were gonna go on tour and they asked the Cranston's to be the backing band and the, <laughs> regrettably these guys said no they um, said no yeah I think it was really file that under the regrets column with a capital r but uh, <laughs> i'd imagine wow what an opportunity in this so when i was almost done with the book i uh i knew the cranston's manager pretty well and i knew that he had a a line into the Aykroyd office so i said do you think he could hook me up with with dan's office and he did and i sent him the manuscript and um didn't expect anything really um about three months later i got back this note from his secretary with a the fairly long quote uh endorsing the book i was just like wow that's really cool man. So have, <laughs> have you actually um talked to him at all i mean after that or no i've directly? never had any personal uh contact with him but i can tell you um uh, if we're ever in the same room, I, we're going to have a we're going to have a very rapid fire discussion. 
<laughs> yeah, he seems like a uh, a really. I mean, he's obviously a really intelligent person, but um, he seems like a really, uh, you know, down to kind of a, a guy you'd want to hang out with and talk to. Yeah, he's he's very bright, and thank God for his sense of humor. I mean, <laughs> I mean, he can, I'm pretty sure the Coneheads were, was his uh, idea. That movie's awesome. I think you got to have a sense of humor looking at this. And my book, hopefully, has a uh, some levity and it has a good sense of humor running through it because i tell you there are a lot of crazy people in the in the what steve greer used to call the ufo ghetto the ufo community i mean there's it, this is a subject that attracts you know nut jobs and i met a fair amount of them and maybe now some people see me as one but i, I don't you know i don't know and i don't care do you really think they're nut jobs though i mean maybe they're just um woke up <laughs> you know what i mean like <laughs> i don't know yeah there's a line in my book is like well why should i doubt anyone's crazy ufo story that i'd heard at a ufo convention or a paranormal weekend uh conference somewhere when i carried one around in my back pop pocket that <laughs> might have appeared just as crazy to anybody else right right i, I you know and, and the thing is is i think that um as we progress further into the subject, I think that those people that consider you or me or, you know, other believers or, or observers, um, I, I think they're doubting us less and less and making it less and less like we're crazy, that sort of thing. Um, that's, that's just my opinion, though, so whatever that means. Well, yeah, again, I think with all the media reporting around this, mm -hmm number one around the new york times thing but in 2017 but then with the first ufo report from the government that dropped in june in the same year my book was published uh same month uh the blinders have kind of come off and people are going oh so this is real uh but you know i think a lot of people don't dwell on it it's just you know, I don't know if they can see what's in it for them. Not going to help them pay their mortgage or the rising price of gas or the, you know, the check they have to write for their daycare provider. I mean, it's, right? Yeah, it's not directly affecting them. I, I tend to think, bad way, you know, way, so. if the truth comes out, it it would really change the way we think about ourselves. Uh, in our lives on this planet. We are a planetary society that's got many, many grave problems in front of it from uh, an overheating planet to, you know, <laughs> this thing in the Ukraine. I mean, this thing could blow wide open in Europe at any point. I mean, it's just, we have so many, so many situations that we have to deal with at a macro scale um if we had a relationship with an et race would it made us make us think differently about the way we conduct our affairs with other humans i would hope it hope it does i mean i've had that thought since i was a, a kid in grade school but i, I would think that In my opinion, ET, like or aliens or whatever you want to call them, 
I don't think I think that they're well beyond the the, uh, the capability of violence. I think that they they're too intelligent to, to commit violence. That's my opinion. Yeah, I think that's right. I uh, I wish I had this in front of me. I would read it verbatim. There was a wonderful. Uh, or maybe I do. Hang on a second. Um, Bear with me. I will look at my notes. Yeah, no problem, man. Take your time. Okay, I do have this from a recent presentation I gave here in Minneapolis. This was from a, an opinion piece that appeared in the Washington Post written by Daniel Dresner, professional of international politics at the Fletcher School of Law and Diplomacy at Tufts University. Um, here's what Professor Dresner says related to this very topic we're on right now. He says, I'm not gonna speculate on the first question beyond noting that if Harvard astrophysicists like Avi Loeb, this is the Harvard uh, chair of astronomy now that wants to uh, do his own study of UFOs. If Harvard astrophysicists are making the suggestion about interstellar phenomena, perhaps we need at least to consider the possibility that these UAPs might be extraterrestrial in origin. If UAPs excuse me, are extraterrestrial, however, this is a different scenario. It is not humans contacting ET, but rather those ETs actively observing us. Furthermore, they seem to be doing so in a way that's not destructive. That's promising. Observation without the intent to destroy suggests a civilization that is much less violent than, say, the Spanish conquistadors. And then he goes on, I get the concern from uh, physicists that technologically advanced extraterrestrials might behave as powerful human civilizations have in the past. But maybe the concerned physicists should engage a little more with social scientists. The, assump the assumption is that powerful, <coughs> excuse me, the assumption is that powerful technologically advanced civilizations will act in a destructive manner. That is possible, but perhaps civilizations, <coughs> excuse me, I gotta take a drink of water. Sure. That is possible, but perhaps civilizations that reward destructive entrepreneurship are less likely to generate the technological wherewithal for interstellar travel in other words, if you've got that type of technology and you're going to go warring with the, you know, the the Klingons in <laughs> Galaxy XYZ, you know, they're never going to make it to Earth. Um, anyway, the uh, this Professor Dresner finishes that thought by adding, and if those UAPs are ETs, maybe there is more hope for interstellar relations than either scientists or science fiction can envision. Now, to me, that's <clears throat> that's a money quote you can take to the bank again and again. 
Yep. Um, I just, and it also kind of plays to Stephen Greer's whole thing at CSETI about there's no net uh, perceived hostility in the uh, in these visitors. And I think Chris Mellon, who we referenced earlier, also has that same opinion. I just, I just don't think, you know, any, if, I just don't think that I, I would hate to think that anything would develop that was smarter than us and more intelligent and had a better technology would still continue to, um, you know, exert violence onto other races or, or other people. But what, you know, one thing that I've thought about too, and I don't know how you feel about this, but AI, um, artificial intelligence is starting to get a lot smarter. Obviously now we have chat GPT and those, you know, these other programs and, and things like that. We got Elon Musk talking about um, putting Neuralink, um, the microchip inside your brain to help with like cerebral palsy, uh, multiple sclerosis and, and other other issues that the um, that's incurable. Um, what are your thoughts on this? What what if the the ETs and the UAPs and UFOs, whatever you want to call them, coming back are, are us in the future? Yeah, I know that that narrative is out there. It's a. Uh... It's a good one. I don't know. I mean, uh, it's a great premise for a Hollywood movie. And right. In fact, I think there have been a couple of B movies that have been that have used that storyline in the past. Um, I just think uh, if they are, great, but that doesn't exclude. The fact that there might also be ETs out there, and there might also be spiritual spiritual manifestations of forces we don't know or understand that you know they could be out there too. I mean, I I think space is a fascinating place, and inner space is even more fascinating. I read an article recently that scientists found out that space is bigger than what they thought. And that doesn't really make sense to me because I was always under the impression that space is infinite. Infinite. Yeah, again, I mean, our, our science is just kind of still in grade school. We're just <laughs> still trying to find out, uh, you know, what are the dimensions of space? Is it, is it finite? Is it infinite? Infinite? Um, I've read something in the past that said space is always contracting and expanding, <laughs> which is an interesting concept. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't, some of this new um, tech, uh, space-based uh, astronomy that we have up floating in the stars now, Hubble and now recently Webb, I mean, we're seeing these just dramatic and beautiful images of deep space now it's crazy it's mind-blowing some of the images that the uh web telescope is, is sending back to us now yeah i mean we should have more of that and less of chinese spy satellites on, on <laughs> right in our, which, which in our let, me, let, me, let me address that because the so the chinese spy satellite if our government really actually cared about what was going on don't you think they would have shot that down in the pacific ocean instead of letting it float across the United States and look at all of our, you know, secret bases or, you know, 
nuclear weapon sites and, and all that and then wait until it's off the, the coast of the Atlantic to shoot down. You know what I mean? It doesn't really make sense to me. I don't know. I, I don't get too excited by this thing. I think it's a, there's a lot of political posturing going on. Um, the uh-huh. Chinese know where all of our missile sites are. Come on. Well, heck, you, I mean, you can the look Russians it up on the Russians know internet. where all it Google is. It. We know where all their, theirs are. I mean, let's stop the game and sit down and talk about how to eliminate all this bullshit. I agree, man. I agree. It, it's a, it's definitely a interesting and very scary time in the, in the world right now. That's for sure. Well, yeah. And I think that, you know, this is a good point to jump in and say, uh, you know, you should read these couple of books that have been published and the testimony of guys like uh, Robert Salas, who was in the military and the Air Force, who talk about the uh, UFO incursions at different Air Force bases. And in my book, I go into, uh, I think it's in chapter four, I go into a fairly long discussion about the incursion that occurred in 1966, 67. I always confuse the date. Anyway, at the Minot Air Force Base, um, it was a spectacular incident. Uh, Minot's only 100 miles from where I grew up in Dickinson, North Dakota. And uh, uh, turns out one of my uh, good friends here uh, did all the research on this case, interviewed the pilots who were not only the Air Force guys who were on the ground when this incident occurred, but also uh, a flight crew that was returning from a, a bombing run or some nightly surveillance trek that they made. And they could actually see the object on their radar and in, in, in real time out in front of them as it was hovering over the base. and. This thing apparently moved the 20-ton concrete uh, lid off of a, a missile and scrambled the launch codes. I mean, and it's classic stuff that you read about these incursions. The other famous case is Maelstrom Air Force Base, I think a year later or the same year. Um, there's a guy, Robert Hastings, who wrote written a pretty... Uh, well-researched uh, book about all these incidents and and, and that could, that should concern us. What what are they trying to tell us? Or they obviously know where all these sites are. Are they demonstrating their capacity to uh, make all this stuff useless? Or are they saying like, maybe you should reconsider? Uh, I, I think that... I think that they're showing that they can intervene. You know, if we decide, if we do, and this is one of the reasons why I don't think they're a violent race, because I think that if if they see that we're on the brink of nuclear war, where we're going to destroy civilization, I think they're showing us, hey, we can stop this with the push of a button. You know what I mean? You're not in control. We are. That's what. That's the way that I look at it. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, and I wrote a blog about this recently. I th- I said you know, pretty much a real disclosure isn't going to occur until the boys upstairs say we're here and let's get this uh, out in the open. You can do all the uh, witness testimony you want, but let's mm-hmm. 
let's bring in the party that's been silent for all these many decades and yeah until you put them on fox news and they address the nation and the world that's right you know that's to me that's that's a true disclosure but yeah i I agree with you i think uh we have to be very circumspect about uh when these incidents happen um they need to be noted in at the new office that's investigating these Hopefully now uh, that office is going to look into these things, although it's really hard to believe that they haven't looked into this previously and it's all still highly classified. I mean, I think <laughs> right. to some degree, some of this stuff is just, is just uh, dog and pony smoke and mirrors um, just to sort of placate uh, the people who wanted the office set up. Right. Right. And, you know, one one of the things that one of my theories as well is I think that um, and, I, and I'm this is actually not just my theory. It's what I believe. Um, a lot of people say that our civilization at one point, like back in when Egypt was, you know, the Egyptians were around and whatnot, mm-hmm. when they were building the pyramids, that they were a more advanced civilization than we are today and that every 10 to 20,000 years or so that we're there's something an event that happens that sets the civilization back and then now we're getting to that point where um you know we're starting to uh advance to the point of of you know these being able to create you know unlimited energy and that sort of thing yeah you could be right i don't know i mean <laughs> there's a whole world of academic archaeology archaeologists who would take you to the woodshed on that right you know the there's no proof of that shows the proof blah 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 uh i don't know i mean i think the pyramids are proof enough (laughs) you know know how how, i don't know where i stand on the who built the pyramids and how you you do or don't you know i don't think about it that much i really i'll read articles about it i'll you know i follow guys like graham hancock pretty closely yeah younger dryas theory are you familiar with that the which the younger dryas um theory i'm not sure what is it um so it's a here let me let me pull some information up so i don't get it wrong but graham (laughs) hancock is one of the uh one of the guys that talks about it it's an impact crater um let's see here it basically explains the onset of the younger dryas as an alternative to the long-standing and widely accepted cause due to a significant reduction or shutdown of north atlantic conveyor and um so basically what it is is it you know like i like i was just talking about every 10 to twelve thousand years or so a, a major event happens that sets us back as a civilization and um, this is the lat. They call it the Younger Dryas impact. Um, it's a hypothesis because they, you know, obviously it's not proven, but there's a lot of um, things out there that are that point to this being a real thing that happened um, that created, you know, a setback in our civilization. So, um, but you know, I could go into that all day, but I, I, you know what I mean. Like it's a it's a huge topic. Um, there's actually a documentary that Graham Hancock did, um, 
it's a show on Netflix. Have you seen the what what is that show on Netflix? Yeah, I've I've watched the first three uh episodes. I think there's six total. Uh-huh. But you know, he's gotten a lot of really bad reviews by mainstream folks that you know stand behind the status quo and academia you know they're just not going to hear of any theories that run counter to the to the to the theories that are that are in place and have been for centuries mm -hmm. or so um yeah I, I don't know i mean i i'd say let's have a cataclysmic event where the ets show themselves and we openly sign some treaties and and we uh, take the dance to the next step. <laughs> I'm game for that, man. I'm game for it. And hopefully that happens. Um, but man, we, so we've been going for about an hour and uh, this has definitely been, you've, you know, some of the things that you brought up, I didn't know about. Um, so I'm definitely going to read more into that. I'm definitely going to read your, you know, more of your book and, and finish that up. And I'll let you know, you know, my thoughts on it when, once I'm done. Um, how can people, get um buy your book i mean where can they purchase it the best way to buy the book right now is through amazon if you go to the book website the spacepinclub.com there's a front page uh link you can jump right off the book site and go right to the amazon page where the where the book's listed okay i'll and i'll put the the uh link in the show notes too okay so great. Can yeah check out some of the some of the reader reviews on there that some of them are really terrific and spot on and then there's there's one guy on there who posted it posted a review that said it put me to sleep <laughs> <laughs> i think i'm gonna have that one framed yeah I, you, you know it how so how are your are book sales going good i mean have you sold a lot of copies you know selling i always say writing a book is easy selling a book is a mother <laughs> it's my bet i mean look how many books are out there unless you're yeah i mean there's thousands of books published every year self-published or published by traditional publishing houses right um i uh my book sales you know they come and go they kind of go in spurts um but you know i think it's a pretty good read I'm enjoying it so far. I mean, I really am. It's um, I'm finding it very interesting. I I, I plan on finishing it this evening. Actually, I've only got three chapters left to read. So, um, where do you have plans in writing another book? Is there anything in the works, or, or are <laughs> you done writing? Write, probably not going to write another book on this topic. But I am working on a new book about Bob Dylan. Cool. Okay. The world needs another Bob Dylan book, probably like it needed another UFO book. <laughs> Everybody loves, loves Bob Dylan, man, just as much as they do a UFO, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to do it. I, I spent some quality time with Bob. <clears throat> I interviewed him in 83 when the album Infidels came out. And I went on the never ending tour for a week through the Midwest in 1990. Really? That's cool. And, yeah. And I, I had, I, had some social encounters with him and a mutual friend of ours here in the Twin Cities over the years. So I think I might have some new insights into Bobby Zimmerman's MO and, and uh, 
kind of the way maybe he thinks and yeah he's a fascinating guy well let me know when that comes out man because i'd like to read it as well yeah it probably won't be for another year i gotta finish it first <laughs> right um so how can um if anybody wants to get i don't know if you're open to it but if you want if they can get a hold of you to ask you questions or anything like that how can they get a hold of you there's an email link on the book's website um info at calumeteditions.com and if you send them an email they will pass it on the minute they get it and i i reply to all my email stuff so cool i will um you were really quick to reply back to me so and i appreciate that um what i'll do is i'll post all that the links in the uh, show notes and then once I get this, um, I plan on releasing the episode um, probably like Tuesday. So once I release, I'll get you the links and over. I'll email the links to you. That way you can take a look at it and share it with your people and or do what you want with it. So. All right. Well, thanks for the time, Bobby. And Hey, man, thank you. Thank you. Hopefully I can. Um, would you be willing to come back on sometime? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Cool. Okay. Well, I'll be in touch and we'll uh, we'll get that schedule and we'll figure some stuff out, okay? All right, that sounds good. All right, man. You enjoy the rest of your Sunday. You too. Happy Sunday. See ya. Thank you. Bye bye.